1 Corinthians chapter 2. At this point, Paul has been speaking to this church. One of the big problems, again, was there was a lot of divisions in the church related around, it seems, particular teachers and particular ideas of wisdom or philosophy. And what Paul began to talk about is the message of the cross, God's testimony about himself, is seen as foolish to the major wisdoms of the world. So the Jew wanted a spiritual sign. The Greek, it was foolishness to them. It was madness, this idea of God coming in human flesh, dying on a cross, being resurrected, and how it's part of God's work in the world to show that human wisdom is never ultimately the answer, that his work done in the world is the answer. And so he shared about the foolishness of the message of the cross. He shared about the foolishness of the recipients of that message, that the church in Corinth, there wasn't a lot of mighty or noble or influential people there because people would lean on those things and trust those things instead of the work of God. And now as he picks up in chapter 2, he's still continuing that discussion. And what he's going to show here is his practice of sharing that message was even considered foolish by those who would look at it. So let's begin in verse 1. I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the wisdom of God. So here Paul is going to say, even the way I delivered God's message to you, it wasn't with what would be considered um, or recognized as wise in the eyes of the world, particularly in this place in Corinth where they held eloquence and philosophy in a very high esteem. What he's going to show here is literally his practice in preaching ministry was also unique. And We're going to have here, you'll notice four times he's going to use the word I, two times he's going to use the word my. This is literally his application of this truth in his preaching ministry. The way Paul preached mattered. Wasn't just the content. Also, how he was delivering the content mattered. So he says to them, When I came to you again in verse 1, I did not come with excellence of speech. We'd say that would be rhetoric or uh, the oratory, the skill in terms of literally the words he's using, or of wisdom, again, that being more the logic or philosophy behind it's the skill of preaching, the art of preaching itself, and then the content of the preaching. I wasn't leveraging either of those things. In declaring to you the testimony of God, or as he was sharing earlier in the chapter, the message of the cross. Now, he could have leveraged those things, but he says in verse 2, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's not that 
Paul didn't have conversations with them or want to know facts about their life. What he's saying is, I, wasn't, I didn't want to know any of these things in, in the sense of then using them to bring the testimony of God or the message of the cross to you. He was talented and intellectual. Uh, he, even in this letter, you're going to see, he, he had a remarkable gift, and he could have used that gift in terms of his rhetoric and how he was using speech to influence people. People still do that today. And what Paul's saying is, I was determined not to depend on the persuasion of human wisdom, but on the witness of God alone and the power of his spirit. And I think it's important that we recognize this. Like We can't take it lightly. It was this apostle who was saying these things. And this is the man who we already know says that he was given the mystery of the church to speak to the world, to make known. God literally gave him something that was hidden, taught him that so that he could share it with other people. The mystery of Israel, the second coming of Jesus Christ. We just went through Romans. He talks about the depths of sin in human life unlike anybody else. And then all the way to some of the heights of heavenly things like predestination and election and us being conformed into the image and likeness of God. In Ephesians, he's going to talk about some of the most heavenly things that there are. Colossians, the ultimate sufficiency and fullness of Jesus Christ. First and second Thessalonians, the second coming and the rapture of the church. He's going to talk about church structure here. He's going to have tons of things to say about that, both in first and second Corinthians, the pastoral epistles. This is a guy who had more to say than just about anybody else. And it wasn't that those things weren't important, because obviously in this letter, he's going to share plenty of other things and many of them practical. But what he understands is when I show up and I'm giving somebody the message of the cross, none of those other things matter until they are built on that foundation. And that foundation can't be laid through any type of human skill and ability. Here's what I determined. I wasn't going to use any of those things. I was going to give you God's testimony about himself and allow him to make that real. In his own power and in his own ability. And so much of modern preaching fails to rest on the power of the Holy Spirit or tries to mask it with other things, mask its absence. The fact that the content you're actually sharing doesn't have any power in and of itself outside of you. So what we have to do if what we're sharing doesn't actually have any power is conjure up other things to make a difference. So what people do is they use their personal charisma and they leverage that to gather interests in themselves. We stir up emotional moments. Whole music and worship services are designed not to honor God, but literally to stir up emotion in people so that they have a good experience or an emotional experience that they don't have other places, and they want to be tied back to those things, the stories, the things that are said. 
spiritual vision. You'll have so many people talking about the particular vision God gave them and how other people need to bend to that and understand it and how it's unique. Business practices, informational statistics. If I'm not sure if the gospel is powerful enough, what I want is you to give me the stats of the people who live in this area and what they're like, what they purchase, what they struggle with. And then I can leverage those things and how they're thinking to try to make a difference in people's lives. And what you'll see is all of these types of things, the oratory of the day, which might not be, uh, particularly in our culture, somebody who uses big words, but our orator is the comedian because we want to be entertained. If God is boring, please at least make me laugh a couple times. And then I can leave feeling like I had a good time. And all of these things are just an evidence. Some people doing them innocently, some people doing them actively and purposely. And all of them are an evidence that we actually lack the thing that matters. Because if the Holy Spirit is working in power in somebody's heart, he doesn't mean, need me to leverage my personality. Or he doesn't need me to try to create an emotional moment or to bend on human statistics. What, what happens is we end up trusting in ourselves. None of these things help God's message. It's totally fine on its own. So Paul said, I was determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. I didn't come with human rhetoric. When I shared the gospel with you, when you got saved, I told you that God sent his son. He was the Messiah. And he loved you and he gave himself for you. And he rose again and he offers you forgiveness and he's coming back. And that had its own power through the Holy Spirit. I didn't need to add anything to it. I didn't need to bring other things alongside of it. I was determined not to do anything like that. I was going to say God's testimony about himself and allow him to carry the day. Verse 3, he says, on a very practical sense, speaking of him personally, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. He wasn't up there as a striking figure. He says, I was there with weakness and fear and trembling. We don't picture Paul the apostle like this, but... Uh, whatever the details were, we're not told. We do know when he got to Corinth, again, we saw Jesus Christ appeared to him and had to tell him, hey, I have many people here. Speak freely. Nobody's going to hurt you. So he had been a dude who had been beat up. Riots had been caused. So maybe he was fearing and trembling. <laughs> I hope I don't get beat up by a mob. I don't want to be stoned. I don't want to be thrown in jail. That could have been a part of it. He also shares in other places that he felt the insufficiency in himself. You're walking into a city. Uh, you know, we, we have at least the luxury of a lot of people that we know, or we, we know we can walk into most cities in America, and there'll be somebody there who has heard the gospel message, or there'll be a church. Paul's walking into the city, and there's nothing. There's no believers. There's no churches. He's literally starting on the ground floor places, and he felt that insufficiency. It could have been a part of it. Whatever it was, though, we know is he, he's like, this is how I was. I didn't stand in front of you 
as a person who had it together. I was, I was there in weakness and fear and trembling. It wasn't, it wasn't looking at me that became part of the presentation. Paul, Paul certainly wasn't into any type of uh, brand creation for, for his, you know, multiple screens he was going to be on or something like that. There was nothing like that going on. What he says was, my speech, in verse 4, and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and in power. Paul says, it had nothing to do with me. I was not there in power. I was there in weakness. But there was a demonstration of God's power through the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what was there, because it was God's message. It wasn't about me. And the reality is, the more that a person is involved, the more of ourselves that's involved in the preaching of the gospel, whether it's a preacher or any of us, the less there is of the Holy Spirit. The more the human element is involved, the worse it's going to be, because there's only one true witness to Jesus Christ, which is the Holy Spirit, his own spirit. And when we are witnesses, it's just the spirit working through us. It's not us at all. He is the one who makes it happen. An old preacher said that we can have a window so painted that no light can come through. And unfortunately, that's what happens in a lot of sharing. People forget what the goal is. The goal is to have the power of God working in a human heart. The goal is to have human beings come into contact with the God of the universe, to know and love God more. And, and we can't do that on human levels. Only God can make God known. Adam Nieder in his book, Theology as a Way of Life, says this, anyone who doesn't find it strange that he or she should stand in front of a group of people and talk about God is either deluded or hasn't thought very deeply about what is happening. If, if it's a Sunday school class or a home fellowship or a Bible study, anywhere where a human being is standing around, what I am doing right now, trying to talk to other human beings about God Almighty, if it's not for his word, and his Holy Spirit, nothing successful is going to happen right now. At least nothing worthwhile eternally. You can, in human means, give people a good time. You can begin to like a person's personality. You, you can have a good time at a service or at a religious event, and you can leave fundamentally the same. Like I could go to a football game, and I can cheer the cheers and pay money, and be emotionally moved by the experience. The Philly special, that emotionally moved me. Right? There, there are, I can have a, a whole types of experience in the moment, but then when I leave the stadium, I am no fundamentally different than when I entered in. And you could be a religious person who shows up at church and sings the songs and pays the money and enjoys the experience, and if you leave not fundamentally different, nothing has happened. 
But when a person comes into real contact with God Almighty and his truth, through the power of the Holy Spirit, something happens. You don't leave the same. Fundamentally, something has changed in that person's heart and in that person's life. And that can't happen through human means. That only happens through the truth of God in the spirit of God. And it's the problem with many modern preaching methods and tricks and gimmicks. They're all a reflection of how little we actually trust the Holy Spirit to witness to the truth of Christ and the power of God. And when we don't trust him, all we have left is to trust ourselves or somebody else that we think is more talented than ourselves. And all these things, they end up having a problem because notice what Paul says in verse 5. Here's, here's why he did all that. So that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's, that's why. Because it matters how we preach. Because it shouldn't just be in word only. It matters what is being presented, what people are seeing. Even most, so many modern kind of, the whole setup is totally different. Like you will, there's not a pulpit. The pulpit is typically here because the word of God is on it. And that is what is in between the preacher and the people. It's not, it's not just me. It's the word of God is here. There's not even Bibles in a lot of places. And then the stage is a big stage, all set up with a human being that's a sinner walking around, but usually a good-looking sinner, right? Somebody who's at least got it together. Their fashion might be a little better than ours. They might not have a wrinkled shirt or sneakers are a little newer or something like that. And then the, the place is dark, and the lights are all on the sinner. And, and maybe they talk about the Bible a little, and when you walk away, the content was like, even if it was entertaining or nice, that guy just told me God was nice. Like, if you chalk it all up, what just happened right there? And it's all a sign that we don't actually trust the word of God and God himself to make a difference in human hearts through the word of God and through the truth there. And what happens is when I lean on those other things, the props, the gimmicks, and people walking away talking about those things instead of God, talking about the preacher instead of God, talking about the funny illustration instead of truth, talking about the experience instead of what the Holy Spirit is saying to them, we have just made the preaching of God of none effect. That's what Paul's saying. You want to know why I came to you and determined not to use eloquence, because I could have, or bring the message of God through the philosophy of the day, because I could have. Why I determined not to do any of those things? Because I didn't want to just preach in word, but in the power of God. Because you can just preach in word. Or you can preach in word and the power of God. 
Again, 1 Thessalonians 1.5, Paul would say, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and much assurance. See, the, the word of God can come as word only or word and power through the Holy Spirit. Word only means you listen to me or that's a good idea or that's nice. Somebody said something kind of nice and religious. And again, you go out and nothing has happened. Word and power means you come into contact with God and now you got to live different. Because God has shown up in your life. And when God makes himself real in a human heart, things are fundamentally different in an instant. Paul had all the learning of the day. When he got knocked off his horse by Jesus Christ, things were fundamentally different. When he was out there in the desert learning truth from the risen Savior, things became fundamentally different for him. Every single day he was being conformed in the image and likeness of Christ. This was Paul's practice. He would say to the Galatians in Galatians 3.1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you would not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? How did you guys get saved? Jesus Christ was portrayed among you as crucified. And now you want to go to something else? God made his son and what he did for you real. It became real that you were a sinner and he was your savior. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, not through him. Not through his logic or his eloquence. It's God's business to demonstrate his own message. And we trust that message to him. It's not about us or our methods. It's not even about Christian apologetics. All those, they're, they're nice. But there's only one way people receive the word in power. That's the message is given as God's own message. And God demonstrates that it's real in people's hearts and lives. That's how it happens, through the work of his Holy Spirit. This reality was something that Paul understood. The the day of Pentecost was the birth of true spiritual preaching in the church. Meaning things were said, the truth of God was given, and then the Holy Spirit takes those things and makes them real in people's hearts and lives. You and I are sent out by the risen Jesus Christ. We're given his word, and then we're given his Holy Spirit. The ministry is still all his. We didn't start it. We didn't create it. We just got invited into it. We don't, we don't do anything to make it happen. He's the one who's making it happen. So as a preacher, as a teacher of the word of God, full confession, this, this is not something that scares you or scares me. In fact, it's something that should, in fact, free you as you share the word of God with your friends. Or if you have a place where you get to teach the word of God, like I said, in a children's ministry, you have a small group, or you get to have a Bible study somewhere, or you're a preacher and you're listening in. What, what understanding this does is it frees you because I am not the center of the message. I am displaced from the center. I'm not the fulcrum here. I'm not the thing that makes it all happen. My weaknesses and limitations can be real. And God doesn't necessarily 
uh, not see them, but the reality is he rises above them. There's not a perfect person in the world sharing the truth of God. But the Holy Spirit, he's perfect. And he takes those things that are true and applies them to human hearts and human lives. I don't need my weaknesses eliminated or excused. I just need God to be bigger than them. And I trust in his word. My dependence frees me to simply share the truth because I'm not the center of the process here. I, gaining more charisma will not help you grow spiritually. Having a cooler stage will not help anybody here grow more spiritually. What will do that is confidence in the word of God and his spirit to make it happen himself. It's not my competence, skill, intellect, likability, follower, viewer, or giver count. None of those things measure, in fact, if God is making himself known through the foolishness of preaching. God does that himself. He demonstrates the truth of his word in his own power. That's why Zechariah says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's always been that way. That's why the methods and the practice of preaching are so important. How people give the word of God actually matters. Because if I don't do it in a way that is correct, then the faith of people, again, Paul says, will be in the wisdom of men, but not in the power of God. If I trust human intellect, if I believe what's being said because the person seems intellectual, then when I meet somebody more intellectual, I'll be confused. If I believe what the person says because they seem really scientific, the minute science seems to go against those things, I'll be confounded. If I believe somebody because I have this emotional, spiritual experience in a moment, then when my experience is different, it'll all fall apart. If I rest on, if I like the charisma of somebody, I just like this person. And, and we all connect with some teachers or others more than others. That's fine. But if I begin to trust that thing, then what happens when that charisma fails? Or I find out there was a double life there. And what happens to people? Their faith begins to fall apart. If I trust in this emotional moment that I had and not in the word of God, what happens when the emotions go? Or they go the opposite way? Then my faith begins to fail. How many people have been confused and thought even their, their trust in God or their faith or their salvation wasn't real because when they believed, they were actually leaning on something else other than the power of God. But if I trust the word of God and the power of God, those things are never going to change. They're never going to fail. My faith won't rest in men. It will rest in God and in his word. Then I don't have to be shaken. Then 
If they say like they did to Athanasius, the whole world is against you, then you say that I'm against the whole world. Why? Because God plus one is the majority. Right? If I'm resting in him, I'm good. This is the word of God. Adolf Safier, again, a Christian preacher in his book, Christ Crucified, said this. We do not wish to influence, move, soften, terrify or mold. We look to God that he, by making his truth, his glorious and loving message come into contact with the heart, may draw men unto himself. It's not my job to move anybody. God does that himself. He knows what he needs to say to every individual. And when people hear him and his truth, their faith rests in the right place. And Paul would say, listen, it's not just the message. It's not just the people receiving the message. Did you see how I came to you? What I didn't do, what I did do. That's all so that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, Paul moves on. Verse 6, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of our glory. Uh, uh, The wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So what Paul says again in 6, however, okay, I said all this. We speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. He says, it's not that I have no wisdom. Hey, don't think that I'm against wisdom, or I have no type of wisdom to share. I do have wisdom to share, to share with those who are mature, That's the idea of mature in the Lord. But it's not the wisdom of this age or the wisdom of the rulers of this age. Age being a time period. Uh, The the wisdom of that kind of Greek-Roman culture was one thing. Every age has its own flavor, a dominant philosophy, a dominant way of looking at life. Various cultures have have their flavors. There's always some idea that dominates. And what Paul is saying is the wisdom of God cuts against the wisdom of men. It's not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age. And what it all comes to, he says, is it comes to nothing. All the wisdom outside of God is going to come to nothing. If God's rule, if God is real, and his rule and reign is true, then every thought that not that is not in uh, line with God's thoughts, that's not in confirmation to God's thoughts, is going to come to nothing. Like if I think that God did not create the world, but God is real and created the world, that thought is going to come to nothing. If my thoughts about marriage or heaven, or hell, or sin, or morals, 
or love or hate. Do not conform to God's thoughts. I'm going to be proven wrong one day. All of human history, all of human life, every human soul is going to come either to nothing or to its creator. The only thoughts in the end that matter are God's thoughts. And my job is to think God's thoughts. Because any thought I have that's not his is going to come to nothing. All the wisdom of this age, doesn't matter how many people agree or disagree. If God is God, what he thinks is going to come true in the end. And Paul says, I got wisdom. We have wisdom. But it's not the wisdom of this age. It's a different type of wisdom. It's not the philosophy of this world. What was the wisdom that he spoke of? He says, verse 7, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom of God ordained before the ages for our glory. The, the wisdom that Paul spoke of is the hidden wisdom of God in a mystery, the mystery being in the Bible, things that human beings never could have known if God hadn't revealed them. So God's plan about the Messiah, the Bible, Paul will talk about the mystery of godliness, Christ coming in human flesh. Nobody could have thought that up. No human beings made up that idea. God had that thought before creation, 1 Timothy 3.16. He'll talk about Ephesians 3.9 and Colossians 1.26 and 27. The church, which was a mystery, this group of people, Jews and Gentiles, all in one body connected to Jesus Christ, going to be glorified in him. That was a mystery. Paul says, I'm, I'm speaking wisdom. The plan of the ages here, the plan that God had from Israel to Christ to the church to the second coming, it's, it's all going to be shown. And God in his wisdom and his love and in harmony with everything that he's ever wanted to do, it's all going to fall out exactly the way that he wanted to his glory. And it's nothing that human intellect added to or could have conceived of or helped and Paul says, if the rulers of this world knew these things, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Unique phrase that Paul uses there. They, if they had known that Jesus was who he was, they would not have crucified him. Peter says in Acts three seventeen and 18, Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it, crucified Jesus, that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Peter says, I know you did it in ignorance, but now the message is coming to you. How do you respond? This is the wisdom that we're talking about. The rulers of this age, they didn't know those things. They had never seen those things. But God had it all set up for his own glory and for ours, we're going to be ordained to be a part of this plan of the ages. And as it all gets played out, you see God's wisdom and his power and his love through it all. And it all just reflects his glory. His glory is not one of his attributes. It's an attribute of his attributes. What it means is when you see God's love or God's wisdom, you're blown away by it. When you see him as he is in action, the beauty of it. It is glorious. That is love. 
That is power. That is wisdom. And we get to be a part of that for all the ages. And Paul says, that's the wisdom I'm talking about, but the world doesn't know it. And he pulls then from verse 9, from Isaiah 64, even though this verse is often kind of taken out of context, I think it's important for us to see it here. I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered in the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. The context is really a gospel context, God's plan of the ages. Human wisdom, they had no idea of what God was doing. Human beings on their own, their eyes didn't see it, their ears didn't hear of it. This is something God is making known. He had this whole thing planned before anybody knew any of it. But, verse 10, God has revealed them to us through his spirit, but they're not hidden forever. We get to know this stuff. So, you know, verse 9 is used in terms of heaven a lot. That's an okay application, but that's not what it's talking about here in the context. Certainly, God has great things for us. There's other better verses for that. But this one right here, this is, again, speaking to what Paul is saying. The people of the world don't understand this. They haven't seen God's wisdom. They don't know it. It has to be made known to him through the Spirit. But God has revealed them to us, us as Christians, through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. We don't just only have the wisdom in this world. We have the Spirit who knows God perfectly. And Paul's emphasis here is on the means of our reception of God's wisdom. How can I know things that were hidden in God? How can I as a human being know any of God's thoughts? Well, Paul says, he's given them to us through his Holy Spirit. We don't have to be ignorant of those things. God himself teaches them to us. And he's given us the capacity to have that through his Holy Spirit. 4, verse 11. What man knows the things of man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Paul says, how can you know what a person's thinking? Another human being, how can you know what that person is thinking? Well, you can't. You know yourself better than anybody else knows you. If Now, some of our spouses think they always know what we're thinking. And they can finish our sentences before we start them. They can just speak for us, you know. But the reality is, nobody knows us fully. We know ourselves best. If you want to know somebody's thoughts, they have to share them. The spirit of who knows what's in man except the spirit of the man. The, the individual knows. And very often we don't share those things for various reasons. Sometimes because we're afraid to actually be known. Sometimes for whatever reason. But what he says is the spirit of God knows the deep things. Of, who can know God? What? What mediator can come between us and God? Can just a normal human being teach me what God's like? Well, we're not left to just a normal human being. We have God come in human flesh. And then he gives us his own spirit. The spirit that knows the deep things of God. We receive him. 
and we are taught by him. Verse 12, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Again, Paul's practically saying, look, you you have the spirit of God, not the spirit of the world. The world there, the word is cosmos, which is the material order of things, the things that I can know through just my human existence here. I interact with this physical world through my senses. I have a body. I can know things about the world through my body. I also have a consciousness. I can know as a self-aware person things about the world. I can have knowledge through the world. Science can teach us things. We've learned a lot of things that can make life helpful. Change isn't always for the better, but good things that we have in life appreciative of various medical care, education that we've been given. All those things are fine. But none of those things can actually teach me God. He's he's different. What I need is something from him. And I haven't been just given the spirit of the world. I've been given the spirit of God, the spirit who is from God so that I can know things about him. Like you would have a difficult time interacting with the world if you didn't have all your senses, like my eyesight or my smell or my hearing. Well, spiritually, the Bible says we lack. We are blind. We are dead. We are deaf. We are dumb. We don't have the ability to actually interact with God. God created man, human beings, to be able to interact with him, not just the world we live in. That's how plants were made. Not just to have some type of consciousness. Animals were given a soul. But man was created unique so that man could interact not just with the world or not just with a consciousness, but with God. And when man sinned, The Bible said that man would surely die. God said that to Adam. He didn't die physically right away or of consciousness. He died spiritually. The spiritual organs to interact with God are dead in human beings until God brings them back to life through his spirit. We call that being born again, receiving new life, regeneration, a new creation. The Bible says God has now given us his spirit so that we can know God and the things that are freely given to us by God. The tabernacle in the Old Testament was a picture of knowledge. The outer court was lit up by the sun. You could see and interact with things by the light literally of the world. In that first holy place, there was, in essence, light of divine revelation. There was lamps lit with oil, all given by God, something direct there. And there was no other light there. It was totally covered. You needed that lamp. Things spoken by God to be created and put in their proper order. But when you went into that holy of holies, the light, the knowledge that you had there was literally God's presence. It's not just things that you might learn about him. 
That's when God happens to you. And that's something different than just reading about something or learning about it. That's experiencing it. And the knowledge that we have by the Holy Spirit allows us to know spiritual things. That actually, I can be just as confident of the reality of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for me as if I lived in that time and saw it happen. That might be hard to believe, but there's a bunch of people who lived in that time, saw it happen, and refused to believe in Jesus Christ. But you and I, God has not left us with a deficiency in knowing him or walking with him. Paul says, don't you understand? You think the wisdom of this age, some philosophy, is going to get across everything that God Almighty has freely given to us in Jesus Christ? No. But you have received the Spirit of God so that you can know him, so that you can know the realities of heaven and hell. You can know the realities of his love for you and his patience with you and his comfort in your life so that when I begin to see the world break down, I know the realities that what God has said about his kingdom and the future are true. That the confidence that the disciples had after his resurrection is the confidence that I can walk in. They walked around with Jesus for three years and they still needed the Holy Spirit to understand the things that God had for them. They still needed the Spirit and the work of the Spirit. And Paul says, listen, we haven't just received the Spirit of this world. The only, what you have is not just what you're born into this world with as a sinner. God has now given you new life. And his Spirit, who knows everything about him, can freely teach you everything that has also been freely given to you. Cost has already been paid for. I would encourage you, if you need that tonight, if you need to understand God's will or his love or his grace in your life in another way, you have what you need for that. You just ask him. That's his job. And he's happy to do it, to make Jesus Christ have the weight he's supposed to have in your heart, in your life. Now, Paul says, verse 13, these things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Paul says, I'm not telling you these things in my own words. I'm telling you these things in God's words. This is spirit-taught words, scripture, inspiration, God's words about his own thoughts and about all of life. Again, Paul would write to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, and say this, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God which also effectually works in you who believe. We all receive the word of God either as the word of men or the word of God. If it's the word of God, that fundamentally changes things. If Elijah showed up in your bedroom tonight 
if Moses and Elijah showed up, they had another appearing and they read 1 Corinthians chapter 2 to you or spoke it from memory, it would not have more authority. This already has all the authority it needs because it's the word of God. And through his Holy Spirit, he gives it the power that it needs in our lives. And Paul's saying, the things that we speak, we don't just speak in man's words and wisdom the way they teach, but we speak what the Holy Spirit teaches. We compare spiritual things with spiritual. He says, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know him because they are, know them because they are spiritually discerned. The Paul says, the unsaved person, they don't get this. It's not their fault. They don't have new life in him. They need the message of the cross. They need to hear that you're broken outside of Jesus Christ, but he loves you, he gave himself for you, and he can change you and give you new life. He can do what no, what no human thing can do. Right? Human, human society cannot change human beings, their nature. We can limit it, but like we don't put people in jail because it's better for them. We put people in jail because it's better for us because they won't stop murdering or criminal activity. So we have to get them out of society because we actually have no ability to change their nature. This guy was a murderer, Saul, who became Paul. And his nature was fundamentally changed because of the miracle of Jesus Christ. And that didn't happen through any wisdom of words or societal drug or program. What, what happened was he was a fundamentally changed human being because of the work of the Spirit. And he's saying, we're talking about things that if you don't have that work in you, you won't get. Before you're saved, you read the Bible, it doesn't make sense. How come I don't get this? Well, you don't have the capacity or the organ yet to understand it. You don't, you don't give a blind person a hard time for not seeing things. You just recognize there's a deficiency there. You want them to be healed, made whole. And God wants human beings to be healed, made whole. They're searching but they know what they're searching for. They can't actually find on earth because they're not made for time. They're made for eternity. And all the things I can find in time actually won't fill up my eternity. But what Paul says is the natural man, he doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. He can't know them. They're spiritually discerned. But... 15, he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no man. The spiritual person, that person, they can judge all things. This is, this is a good verse if people are like, judge not lest you be judged. Well, the spiritual man judges all things. So, you know, there's always a balance to those things in the scripture. And the balance here is a person who understands the spiritual realm has another part of the equation for life that other people don't have. And we weigh things differently. I can't be judged by a person who doesn't have all the information. I'm not judged. 
The world, in essence, judges us, but the reality is they don't have all the information. They don't understand heaven and hell. That's why Jesus could look at the people nailing him to the cross and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't have all the information. If they knew what they were doing, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You and I, we can judge things create that, that we find in life, all of creation, because we have the whole picture. Right? The world just thinks you're a product of your environment, but it forgets there's another part of the environment. God. Supernatural part. And that part can have a greater influence than any other part of our environment. If God wasn't real, then we all would just only be a product of our environment. But God is real. Heaven is real. Hell is real. Eternity is real. The work of the Holy Spirit is real. The conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment in the world is real. The fact that God loves you and me is real. And there are realities that the world is leaving out. And they keep getting shocked by those things. Basically, the whole Bible is a story of somebody running in the right reality or the wrong reality. You see David running toward Goliath, and you're thinking, one of these is leaving out some information. Either Goliath is missing something or David's missing something. I mean, Noah's building an ark. Either he's missing something or the world is missing something. Joshua's marching around Jericho. Either he's missing something or Jericho's missing. Every single Bible study, you could basically look and be like, somebody is missing some information here. And the, the people who got God as part of the equation, they're on the right side of the equation, even if they look a little crazy now and then, which is basically this whole chapter. We're going to be a little crazy now and then. Our, our message is going to seem a little crazy to the world because they're missing some information. Can't be shocked by that. We can't hate them for that. We need to pray God opens their eyes. But the spiritual person, we judge things differently. We see things differently. In the light of God and his word and eternity. For, he says in 16, who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? We have the mind of Christ. We, we have something else. Who has known the mind of the Lord that he might instruct him? Taken again from Isaiah 40, 13. Nobody can tell God what to do or work with him, instruct him. Nobody has the intellect that they've understood everything God has, and they're like, God, let's have a little powwow here. Let's throw some ideas up on the board. Let's work through this together. Let me give you a few pointers here, God. It's like nobody, nobody has that mind. But we receive the mind of Christ through the Holy Spirit. Again, the unsaved person, these things are foolishness to them because they don't have the capacity to understand them, and they're only working with human reason. And A.W. Tozer would say, you can always test the quality of religious teaching by the enthusiastic reception it receives from unsaved men. If the natural man receives it enthusiastically, it is not of the Spirit of God. Paul says plainly that the natural man cannot know spiritual things. To him, spiritual things are plain foolishness. There's a lot of sharing of the truth out there in a way that unsaved people will love. Paul says, something wrong with that. 
something wrong with that. They don't spiritually discern the same things that we do. We have received, not because we earned it, we're just sinners, but we've received by the grace of God, the mind of Christ. You are conscious of something different now, something new now. What we're dependent on is something different. I don't just know everything that Christ knows, but I can know the thoughts of God, some of them, not all of them. To understand all of God's thoughts, I would be God. Nobody's going to understand everything. But what we can learn is true. And we can now learn it in truth. That it doesn't have to just be a theological idea or Christian jargon. I think we've all experienced certain things in life. If, if I sat down here and we took the time to take everybody's story in this room, it would actually be amazing. And what we would also find out is there are places in all of our lives where we talked about Christian truth, but it was just words. And then we came to know Christian truth in reality. We, we really have the Lord's mind about it. And in all of our lives, even what we do know is growing and deepening. You say, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But to say Jesus loves me, the truth of that is never going to end. He loves me with an everlasting love, the Bible says. How can I know that? Well, he's going to have to prove it through eternity. So my knowledge of those things is just going to continue to grow. The mind of Christ in us to know the thoughts of God, to be conscious, aware of them. As a saved person, I am now, will say, Christ aware. I have a consciousness of him. Actually, in my life, religious people just do religious things without actually a consciousness of somebody else there. They, they often wish that they could have that. But you and I, we receive the mind of Christ. We interact with him. We live with him. We talk with him. We're not just self-conscious. We're God-conscious. And when he teaches us things in his word, his spirit tells us, yeah, that's true. That's true. I see that. I understand that. And where my mind is still fallible, I'm, I'm happy when the Holy Spirit gives light and shows you were thinking wrong thoughts right there. And we could say, you know what, Lord? Man, you're right. I want to think rightly about you. I want to be taught rightly about you by your Holy Spirit. And we should all have those times where when somebody's saying something about God that is not true because you have the mind of Christ, you're like, hmm, something's a little off right there. That's why we always tell you, Open up your Bible. Open up your Bible because the Holy Spirit will teach you. He was given to guide our fallible hearts and minds into truth. And you can read his word and he will teach you because you have the mind of Christ. Paul says something different happened in you. Listen to me. You guys are talking about all this worldly wisdom. You're arguing about who's, who's following what type of philosophy or what type of Christian teacher. The message of the cross is foolishness to the world. Don't you understand that? It has nothing to do with worldly wisdom. 
Look at you who've received it. You're not the wisest in the world or the most talented in the world. Don't you remember how I preached it to you? Did I show up there in strength? Something noble to look at? I was in weakness and fear and trembling. What about my words? Was I using a rhetoric that wowed you? Or a philosophy that combated with the other philosophies of the world? Now, I determined not to do anything like that because I don't want your faith to rest in the wisdom of words, but in the power of God. And this is how he works in the world. We have wisdom, but it's not the wisdom a worldly philosophy can teach. It's the wisdom that only the Spirit of God can teach. And you have the Spirit of God. You have received his Spirit, and you can know freely what is yours in Christ Jesus, because you have the mind of Christ. So, let's stand. We're going to pray. If anybody's here and you believe that Jesus Christ came, died for you, you want to give your life to him, come talk with us afterwards. But for the rest of us, certainly I think there's probably things that the Lord is ministering to you, and I would just encourage you to say, all right, Lord, I believe this truth. Allow your spirit to make real to me the things that are in your word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth. Lord, we thank you for your help. Thank you for your spirit. Lord, I do pray that you would just guide us. Lord, you know our hearts so easily led astray. You know our minds can be so easily confused. But you've given us your spirit. And your spirit's not afraid of any of the things that the world could throw at us. Or any of even the sin that still resides in us. You've already dealt with those things. And I just pray, Lord, that you would do your work to conform us into your image and into your likeness. And that we would rest on you in simplicity, the truth of your word. And rejoice in the things that we freely have in you. So do that, Lord, in your own power and strength and for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.